Welcome back to Pool Talk. Mike and I are delighted to be back for season two, during which we will be finding guests from across the industry who have vast technical knowledge in their various fields, from heating and ventilation in a pool hall to the intricacies of salt generation for disinfection. As ever, if you want to contact us, please feel free on Facebook. Just search at Pool Talk or email us at pooltalkuk at outlook.com. Hello, everybody. Pools are open again and people are flocking back to them. Are we back to normal then? And what is normal for the technical and chemical operation of a pool? We've been blessed in the UK knowing that we can just pick up a phone, order the chemicals that we need, and take delivery of them in nice, attractive containers, usually within just a couple of days. Today, we can consider if there are other ways that we can provide the necessary chemicals. Could on-site generation be more environmentally friendly? Could they save money? And is the production reliable enough for a commercial pool? Andy Gaffey has spent much of his working life involved in the technical operation of swimming pools, especially in the chemical treatment of them. Andy is now a committed exponent of the process of generating a hypochlorite disinfectant within the confines of your own plant room. And so it's a privilege for Rebecca and me to be able to welcome Andy to Pool Talk today and the chance to discuss the whole concept of on-site generation of sodium hypochlorite. Andy, um, and Andy Gaffey, it's a delight to welcome you onto our podcast library today. Let's start the discussion going. In my humble view, if we go back you know, into the third quarter of the 20th century, between 1950 and 1975, would it be fair to say that the majority of indoor pools would be using chlorine gas as a disinfectant? After that time, in the fourth quarter of the 20th century, we saw a massive rise in the use of hypochlorite. So if we're talking about electrochlorination, is this something new that the industry needs? Or is it just a gimmick that we can, is it about time after, you know, this this next quarter century now, we we need to look at something different? Yeah, yeah. Interesting question, because I think electrochlorination, um, or salt salt electrochlorination has been around um, probably as long as chlorine gas. And I think electrochlorination or brine electrolysis was first demonstrated by um, David, Davy and Faraday in the early 19th century. But it took until about, I think, about 1870 uh, before they could build an electric dynamo large enough to be able to build a practical, you know, industrial scale invention. And, um, and I think the first one was built um, in Runcorn uh, in the late 1800s, and which eventually became ICI, of course. Um, so it's thanks to brine electrolysis, really, that we've actually got sodium hypochlorite, because uh, that's that's how it's produced. And um, the methods that we're talking about today are just on a on a lighter scale than that, you know, for swimming pools. Mm. Um, so electrochlorination systems, I think, have been in pools um, commonly now for for quite commonly used for about um, twenty thirty years. And I, I can remember in the eighties there were probably only maybe a handful, you know, maybe a dozen or a couple of dozen pools in the whole of the UK using uh, electrochlorination. And I think it's because the technology was so bulky, um, it required such large power supplies and a lot of space, and it was very expensive to install. 
Um, so it really never took off, I don't think, until the 90s. Um, so that's... How does it work? Is, is this what people would refer to when they say they swim in a saltwater pool? Yeah, uh, well, that's it. There's, there's various v- versions of, of electrochlorination. Um, so we'll talk about the, the very basic method of, of producing hypochlorite first, I think. And if you imagine, if you take a container, you add salt, salt solution to it, and a couple of electrodes connected to a DC battery or a power supply, uh, then you will generate chlorine at the anode, and you will generate sodium hydroxide and hydrogen at the cathode. It's very easy to do, <laughs> even at home, um, you know, with a battery. So it's a very, very simple method. So what, what happens is it, chlorine gas is produced at the anode, but immediately they, that reacts with the sodium hydroxide, and that's how you get um, sodium hypochlorite. So you have a waste stream, which is uh, hydrogen gas. Um, there's a little bit of hydrogen produced, and that is diluted with air and removed from the system and expelled to the outside atmosphere. Um, so, so that's how it works. It's, now, is, is, there yes. a risk, is there a risk when producing hydrogen gas? Uh, is there any uh, risk to operators, public, whatever, in expelling that either from the, yeah. uh, the generation unit until it gets outside? You know, is there any risk at all there? Yeah, it's, that's a good question. It always comes up. Um, so uh, practically, we're producing quite a small amount of hydrogen um, in the process, but it's diluted down within, typically within the electrochlorination system uh, with air. Um, it's like a thousand to one dilution usually, and that's pumped outside, uh, evacuated outside uh, to atmosphere. So there's lots of there's lots of bells and whistles on machines on electrochlorination machines these days to to monitor airflow, to monitor hydrogen in the atmosphere. Um, lots of fail-safe features, but the biggest fail-safe feature you can have is in the plant room, and that's a high-level vent in the plant room itself, because hydrogen is, is much lighter than air. It wants to rise at about 30 miles an hour. That's, that's, it's pretty quick at getting up there. Um, so if you can't contain it in the plant room, you will never have, um, you know, even if all the fail-safes for some reason failed catastrophically, um, you couldn't contain hydrogen in the plant room because you've got a, a high-level vent. Um, so, so that's that's the that's the basic for any installation is really is having a, a high-level vent in the plant room. Okay, so, it's very um, interesting because I have a lot of clients and mainly private clients who um, they get in contact because they've heard of a salt pool and they think it's better than a chlorine-dosed pool, and I then have yes. to explain that it's they are one and the same. It's not there's this common misconception that a salt pool it doesn't have chlorine in it yeah yeah it's it's a good question a lot of them claim oh it's chemical free yeah (laughs) but it's not salt salt. is still a chemical Uh, yeah it is and you're generating chlorine from that so um, I think the difference in the systems because this does get a lot of um, confusion um, for customers so um, there are systems available where you add salt directly to the pool water Yep. And then you electrolyze it as it goes through the, the swimming pool uh, treatment system. So you have a small cell and it gradually produces chlorine. So that's great in a domestic pool. It's such a simple system. And there are probably millions of those systems around the world. Um, they are so popular in Australia, South Africa, the US, Canada. Um, but in a, in a commercial pool, it's, it's not a very viable method because you've got so much water. Uh, you would use so much salt to, to saturate the water and you would be expelling a lot of that solution uh, every week when you're doing a backwash. 
Um, so it, it's quite a wasteful method for a public pool. And the other reason is that you would need an awful lot of cells, uh, these small cells, <laughs> um, to generate enough chlorine for a public pool. So it will be a very cumbersome installation. So, uh, so you're saying that in a private pool, it works in one way. So in a commercial centre, yeah. it would work in a completely different way. So can you explain that? That's that? right. Yeah, absolutely. So in a, in a commercial pool, um, it's, it's typical to have an offline system so that you're generating um, a stronger solution of brine and you know, salt and water, uh, electrolyzing it with a lot more power. And then the hypochlorite that's produced from that is about 0.6.8% strength. And that's delivered to um, a day tank um, for you to dose in the traditional way that you would dose hypochlorite. It's just that we're, we will be making the solution a weaker chlorine solution, so you need to pump more of it um, and maybe have a bigger storage tank. So in a commercial pool, an electrochlorinator is simply topping up um, a chemical tank, you know, to meet the demand of the pool. So it switches on and generates um, when it's needed, basically. And you don't have to store, you know, thousands and thousands of litres of, of product on site. So it's, it's on demand. And that's, that's the big difference, really. One of the big things that's interesting in the industry at the moment, Andy, is things like energy management, energy consumption, carbon footprints, etc. Yeah. Does the on-site electrochlorination process, say in a commercial pool, in a commercial pool, does mm. that have any impact in your view on you know carbon emissions, carbon footprint, etc.? Yeah. So this is where um, when you when you're considering um, an electrochlorinator, perhaps you've got to get the um, you know the energy management people talking to the environmental people because um, you know there are there are concerns. Of course, the energy manager will go, "Oh well, I don't like the idea of electrochlorination because our energy consumption is going to go up," mm. which it will mm. um, slightly um, because you're generating you know your own hypochlorite. So, um, but the benefits are that a your chemical costs will be much lower. Um, you know, typically about probably 40% of what you were spending on chemicals before. And um, Sorry, I've got to interrupt yeah. there. I've got to in Did you say yeah. 40% lower? Yeah, yeah, that's quite that's quite an average um that's quite an average, you know, saving. Um some pools So a commercial pool could say could actually save anything up to 40% of its chemical bill. Yeah, and possibly more as well depending on, you know, if if you've got a small pool for example buying buying hypochlorite in small containers, it's yeah. usually quite expensive for them. Yes, um, it is, yeah. So, yeah, wow. that's the most expensive way to buy chemicals. So you can save quite a lot of money. Um, that's fantastic. Know, it could be more than 40. Um, okay, sorry to interrupt. No, that's, that's all right. It's a good question. Um, so we were talking about energy, weren't we? So, um, yeah. so the, the thing is, if you're generating your own product on site, you don't need regular chemical deliveries. Yeah. Um, all you need is, a, is an occasional bulk delivery of salt. And somewhere to put it. Um, so, you know, the um, if you like the carbon emissions associated with your chemical dosing should go down considerably because you're not having frequent chemical deliveries to get fresh product every every week or two. So we're gonna we're gonna upset the energy manager, but maybe we'll get the environmental manager on our side. On the side, yeah, that's right. And and also, you know, environmentally, if you like, as a work environment as well, it's a much safer method because you're not storing. Yeah. Uh, hazardous yeah. chemicals on site. Yeah. How big is the actual equipment? If you're um, that are often in a plant room, especially in commercial plant rooms, where often mm. there's a lack of space, how much space does it take up in the actual plant room? 
Yeah. Um, well, sort of, if you can imagine perhaps a small pool like um, a hydrotherapy or a, a swim school, something like that, you could have a wall-mounted piece of equipment or maybe, you know, a, and a tank that's probably 100 litres. So it's, it's quite a compact system. And, and these days they're made in skid format so that they can be quickly insult, installed or, um, or you could have a modular system. So it's the, ta- the control system is on the wall and the tank is in a different corner of the plant room. So it's quite a flexible installation. So then you get to maybe a 25 and 33 metre size pools where you would have a piece of equipment there that might be the size of a, of a wardrobe, for example, you know, right, and yeah. maybe, maybe a 500 litre tank. Um, so it's, it's fairly compact, you know, it's a fairly compact system. Again, it's easy to install and and quite flexible where you where you can put tanks and dosing pumps and things like that. So it ranges in size depending on the size of the pool itself. Exactly. Yeah. 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 But so um, so, yeah. so you know, if we can just go back to the strength that's produced, you know, 0.6, percent uh, strength, is electrochlorination a viable alternative for a commercial pool? Yes, because um, you you would if a pool was switching from commercial sodium hypochlorite, for example, which is typically 13 or 14%. Yeah. Obviously, they're going down to something that's only 0.6, 0.7%. Then um, you need a lot more pump capacity. So yeah. you, know, you, you do need a new set of dosing equipment, and um, that's usually sized correctly and, and done with the rest of the installation. Um, so you, know, you may go from a, a pool that's using a, a 10-litre-an-hour pump to one that's using 100 litres an hour. It can deliver the chlorine just as quickly, of course. You know, It keeps the set point delivers it in just the same way it's just more volume to be able to do that um, and it, it's less caustic obviously it's a weaker solution so it's also less caustic than uh, commercial sodium hypo and it, it is much gentler on ph as well and and it is quite it is quite possible to to be able to generate and pump that quantity that's required for a for a should we say a typical commercial pool? I'm not sure what a mm. typical commercial pool looks like by the way but <laughs> but you know the yeah. um the yeah. 25 by 12 and a half meter pool. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So um, that would be typically something like a 60 litre an hour um, chlorine, you know, something like that. Whereas on, on a large leisure pool, you might be looking at, at a 200 litre an hour um, mm. dosing pump. So these dosing pumps are larger and they're usually motor driven, um, you know. But uh, once you've once you've got the right equipment, it's, it operates in exactly the same way, has exactly the same response as any other chlorine system, really. You mentioned pH there. Um, going mm. back to that quickly, we all know that um, dosing sodium hypochlorite or calcium hypochlorite has a big effect on pH. It tends to drive it up. So does mm. this, the um, hypochlorite that's generated from salt generation, mm. does that affect it in the same way? Is it, is it slower? Is it Does it help? Yes, it, it, yeah, well, it, it does help. It's it's less caustic um, because the generated solution has a pH typically of around eight to eight point five, um, depending on on your your incoming water supply to some extent as well. But um, it's typically around eight to eight and a half. So um, it is quite gentle because you've got to remember the pH scale is logarithmic. So every time you yeah. go up a full a full pH unit, you know that's ten times more caustic. So if you're using something in the in the range of eight to nine um, pH instead of a commercial hypochlorite, which might be pH 11. And there's a significant difference in the amount of caustic that's been um, transferred over time, you know. 
Mm. So that, that's an interesting point, Dennis. That that is an interesting point. Yeah, so it's very gentle on on pH, and you do tend to see savings in in um, acid or CO two. You know, as yeah. a result of that. So yeah. now. The Pool Talk podcast library, Andy, uh, we're pleased to say, is being listened to at the moment by loads and loads of people. Mm -hmm. We're very pleased. Loads and loads of people from all over the world. But uh, yeah. but um, loads and loads of people. And it's ranging from everybody, from swim teachers to the public to technical managers, designers, everything. Would the bather, would the person in the pool notice any difference at all in the pool water from, say, uh, a typical hypochlorite-treated pool to electrochlorinated pool? Mm. We, we have had comments in the past, you know, to say from bathers that it's um, it's much more comfortable on the eye, on the eyes, you know. Um, they don't get the same stinging eyes. So you've got to remember that um, electrochlorination does add a, a little more chloride to the water than the other methods um, mm. because there is some waste um, so there is some leftover salt that does go into the pool. It makes it very comfortable to swim in, um, for sure, and it's and it's comfortable on the skin as well. But uh, yes, it does add some chloride to the pool. Okay, I'm I'm just wondering if if people knew that the pool was using salt, if they knew it was a salt water pool, you know, they might end up mm. imagining they're, they're trying to swim in the Dead Sea and you know they 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 can't <laughs> sink or something like that, you know. Um, <laughs> Good, good, good point. Um, yeah. If, it, if it's working good correctly, point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. If it's working correctly, um, yeah, electrochlorination, you, you wouldn't be able to um, taste any salt in the water, uh, any good. different to um, yeah. A, yeah. A, a normal sodium or calcium hypochlorite pool. Yeah, it's very it different to, to the 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 way you explained earlier, a private pool with you know where you dump salt into the pool itself, and it's jet the chloride is generated the chlorine sorry is generated through the plant room you would yes. then be able to taste it but on a commercial scale you yes. you don't see the difference correct that that's right yes on a, on a domestic pool uh, with an in with an inline system yes you would be able to detect that uh, salt we're, we're obviously focusing on the advantages and i think what you've explained andy is that as long as you get the size right um electrochlorination or salt generation on site can be applicable to any pool from from the smallest domestic pool to you know significantly mm. larger commercial operations um yeah. got us the question are there any any disadvantages to it any drawbacks um well i suppose there are um the cost i suppose initial cost is one factor is that mm. um you know it will be more expensive than yeah. your typical chemical dosing system so it needs an investment um to do that, but of course the, the operating costs come down uh, quite considerably. So on a large pool, you would probably get a good payback time. On a smaller pool, it might take a little bit longer. Mm. Um, but there are also, I know, I know in the industry that there are options for renting these systems as well. You know, so you can rent rent system and uh, have the maintenance included. There's no big impact on your uh, on your capital budget. You know, but yeah. you will see you will start seeing the savings. Yeah. So um, so yeah, cost is. Cost is a consideration, but uh, yeah. certainly operating costs are, yeah. are much lower. Okay. Um, yeah. You know, it, it would be wrong for us to just focus on the advantages, you know, as great as they are. You know, mm. I, I think we have an obligation to look at the possible drawbacks. Is there any implication in terms of the operation? You know, does it need a dedicated member of staff to be able to operate the system, to look after it or whatever? Well, um the systems are generally all fully automated. So all an operator has to do is add salt, is make sure the machine 
uh, has salt. You know, God, so maybe I, th- I think even I can manage that. Yeah, it's it's uh, obviously yeah, you don't you don't need they... to agree with me, Andy. You don't need to agree. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's consideration. So you know, yeah. um, it, the, the system's got to be designed well so the staff aren't handling, you know, so they reduce the handle, manual handling as much as possible. But um, it, typically in a pool, they'll they'll check the salt uh, levels probably once or twice a week. Yeah. Um, the, the other advantages really are that because the solution is, is quite low strength and it's it's not very caustic, is that the chemical injectors don't block. And that's probably one of the oh, single, that's interesting. Single, single biggest, um, you know, benefits because um, mm. cleaning injectors is, is quite hazardous uh, exercise. For I think there's effects. going to be a lot of people listening to this at the moment, Andy, whose um, eyebrows are just shot up. Because, mm. as you say, clogged injectors and cleaning of injectors is the bane of a lot of people's lives. It is, and it's the yeah. job that every planet engineer probably hates the most. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, so, you know, it, with with the a generated on-site generated solution, yeah, the injectors do not block. So it's a job that you can almost strike off, you know, your uh, your daily wow. or weekly uh, wow. task, task list. Um, of course... You're not handling hazardous chemicals either, um, so it doesn't come under COSH because it's below 1% chlorine. Um, it's not classed as hazardous. Mm. So you've got a lot less COSH management as well uh, to think about. So really the operator should be looking at the system daily. They should be checking that there's enough salt and they should perhaps be noting some of the readings on the controller just to make sure everything's working normally really. Um, but these systems are often supplied with telemetry as well, so that if something does go wrong or something runs out of salt, they'll get a text or an email or, you know, they'll get some kind of indication that, that something's not right. And that can always be relayed to the service provider as well. So, so going back to the, the time scale, then, UK pools took a massive hit in 2020 with, mm. you know, sort of most of them, you know, over a 15-month period, managed to get about 10 or 12 weeks use at yes. all, and, and, and the hit was massive. Um, are, you, are you aware of any sort of increase in interest in salt generation now? Um, mm. You know, did, did, it, did it reach its peak before COVID and has died a death, or did it reach a, um, a point mm. and now there's even more interest in salt generation as we come as we come through this pandemic? Mm. I think before the pandemic, uh, you know, interest was certainly uh, on the up. And the last few years, you know, we had seen a uh, quite a dramatic increase in, in um, take up of the system. So um, it's, it's hard to say, you know, the impact that COVID has had because um, all countries have been impacted slightly differently. And, you know, the, the export markets continued and things like that. So, um, so it's, a, it's popular here, certainly. It's, it's gaining popularity, I think. Um, uh, and um, in other countries, too. I know in North America and Canada, is, uh, it's mm. becoming of interest to a lot of commercial pool operators. And indeed, in Canada, for, for many years, they operated a lot of com- commercial pools using the domestic system. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, seems to be very popular. They just <laughs> upscaled it for commercial pools, but it was a very costly method. So now they can see this new, uh, this uh, newer technology. The pool operators, designers, uh, installers um, that are listening to this podcast, ob- obviously, um, electrochlorination can be used as a refurbishment as well. It doesn't 
it you know it's not restricted to being put into new pools only into in, into new yeah. build. So yeah. if there's any pool operator out there at the moment considering using electrochlorination, what advice would you offer them, and how should they approach such a project? Probably the best advice uh, is to make sure that the system is sized correctly, uh, because in the past we've seen that as the biggest downfall. You know, perhaps um, a company's not had a great deal of experience and they've they've undersized the system, and then the cl- the customer says oh, it doesn't work. You know, um, well it, it does work if it's sized correctly. So, mm. um, so for a new pool, it would be da- perhaps down to the architects and the designers to discuss with the manufacturers, you know, what their pool design is going to be like and what bathing loads there are going to be. Um, but in an, in an existing pool where they want to upgrade, then um, the installer really needs to know what what is the current, uh, what is the peak chlorine consumption of the pool. Um, and that, that's the most important piece of information really. So they can size the generator and size the dosing pumps to make sure that you know it can deliver all the chlorine that you need when the pool is at its busiest really. Mm. And that's 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 the art, you know. Mm. Um, so I would say that that's the first point. The next one is perhaps to use a system um, that is supported locally in your country, uh, where where you've got service companies that are well versed in servicing and supplying parts, you know, uh, so that you don't have any trouble with um, service in the long run. I think those are, and and to use a contractor as well that's got some history and got some examples of, of uh, electrochlorination systems that they've installed. And that they've got engineers that are, you know, competent to to service and support it, but um, it's generally a very reliable technology because there are so few moving parts. Um, you know, uh, most of the physical size of the machine that you see is due to um, is due to the power requirements. You know, it, it needs DC power packs; and they have to be cooled, and um, a lot of the, a lot of the equipment is the electrical side of it, really. So there's mm-hmm. very few moving parts. Um, the chemicals are not aggressive and corrosive, really, compared to normal hypochlorite. So uh, the maintenance is quite simple, but it, it needs to be, electrochlorination needs to be well understood by the engineers that are, mm. are servicing it. So that's the advice I would have, really. I, th- I think when people hear this, there's going to be um, uh, a lot of phone calls being made. And um, uh <laughs> We're only too well, pleased to pass them on to you, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, um, you know, to be honest, my, my new business, I don't sell electrochlorination. Um, I'm a big fan of it, don't get me wrong, <laughs> um, because it is such a simple technology. It's, it's mm. so safe. And, um, but uh, my, my job really is, is to, um, I provide training services to commercial pool uh, contractors and installers uh, to train engineers. I can also provide training on electrochlorination systems as well and um, also I can I can help clients you know if a client uh, doesn't know where to start with a project or they need some help in in perhaps writing a specification for an electrochlorination system then that, that's of course that's something I can help with that's good to know yeah that, you mentioned um, a moment ago about um, sizing the unit correctly as you know Mike and I do a lot of training um, in commercial centers um, and school pools etc and one of the big things is to be able for a system to be able to respond to a a problem in the pool for example a fecal release or anything like that so do these systems can do they cater for being able to respond to an incident like that when the chlorine has to be ramped up for any for any particular reason where there's a a very big problem in the pool that's that's a good question and again 
um, that's what um, the installer needs to be aware of, is that it's not just providing a, a, a dosing pump, for example, that can meet the normal demand of the pool. It's also got to meet, um, you know, the need for superchlorination if you have got a, a fecal incident in the pool. So it needs to be able to deliver X amount of chlorine very quickly mm. um, should that occur. So that's that has to go into the calculation for the dosing pump size as well. Andy, it's been fascinating as ever. You know, we, we, we've spoken a number of times about a, a, a number of things. You, you've spoken at seminars as well. Uh, and it's, it's, it's always fascinating. Yeah. I think one thing that the lockdown has shown a lot of pools is that it's given people the, the opportunity to sit back and think and, and think about change. You know, mm. no, no, nobody would advocate change just for the sake of change. But there is definitely a swell of opinion now where people are asking the question, you know, why have we always used that? Why do we always do that? Electrochlorination, on-site salt generation is, is one of those questions that's being asked. Would it work? If it works, how can we make it work? Is there any benefit? Mm. And I think mm. the, the, the big thing is, is not just the, the benefit in financial savings. The, I mean, one of the big benefits is, is in the, um, the, the, the saving of, your, of a pool's carbon footprint. Mm, that, that's right. Yeah. And again, to do with carbon footprint, I think years ago, these systems were huge. They were bulky. They weren't very efficient electrically. Um, but now now they are. And you can see since the perhaps the mid 1990s, um, DC power pack um, technology has increased, you know, has, has just has gone through the roof. And mm. the efficiency of, of these power systems now are so good. Yeah, um, it make, makes the makes the machine very very efficient. So you can see, sure. since the nineteen nineties, it's it, it was probably until two thousand and five. It was quite a slow process. It, mm. you, you started to see more systems be introduced into the UK, and um, and I think over the last ten years, you know, it's it's uh, its popularity has increased a great deal. Yeah, yeah, great. It's so. just m- much more efficient now. Well, thank you, Andy. It's been it's been fascinating. I'm sure you there's going to be a lot more interest of it. Uh, I've got no doubt about that at all. And uh, yeah, thank you for joining us on, on our podcast. Thanks very thanks much, indeed. Mike and Rebecca, for having me on. It's a pleasure. Thanks very much. Thank you. We would love to hear from you. So if you have a question about today's episode, then please contact us on our Facebook page or via email, pooltalkuk at outlook.com. Pool Talk is released every Tuesday on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. Thanks for listening.